you know, I didn't, I forgot to ask, is, did anybody, is there a hand, is sign up for um, food today by any chance? Is there, is there a sign up sheet back there? Okay. Um, the ladies have, have made a sheet back there for the potluck on the 15th. So if you would sign what you're going to bring and then we kind of would get a balance of food so we don't all eat spaghetti or something. And uh, so sign up back there today and uh, we'll uh, kind of know what everybody's bringing. Um, today we're going to talk about um, dinners and, and inviting people to parties. And, and you know, you think about it, when you plan an event, whether it's a party, an anniversary, graduation, there's a lot of times decisions that go into that. And one of the decisions is who you're going to invite. One of the times that's a big deal. Like, who are you going to invite to your party? You know, maybe it's family, friends. Don't know for sure which friends. Don't for sure how many you can have come. Or maybe it's neighbors. Which ones are you going to invite if you're doing a wedding? You know, it's well, one of the big things for a wedding is uh, how many people can you invite? And then if you can only invite so many, you go, well, who do we invite and who don't we invite? And so we all have sometimes standards or guidelines we go by when it comes to inviting people. Or maybe sometimes, you know, if we're, maybe we're invited to something. You know, there's an event going on and we're invited and we have to think about, well, should I go or not go? You know, maybe, maybe we're going to be out of town, so that kind of takes care of it. We're not going to go. I don't want to go because I don't know anybody. I don't know if you've ever said that. I don't want to go to that. I don't know anybody. I'll feel, I won't feel comfortable. Or maybe, maybe I'm just too busy. Well, you know, we've got other things we ought to do, other things we want to do. And so we're just too busy. Well, today Jesus is, we're going to look at some parables that he shared as he watched people as they were invited to an event. And he watched people as they came to the event, and he compared it to the kingdom of God. And so we're going to take a look at that today in Luke, the 14th chapter. Luke, the 14th chapter. And we're going to stay right there. We're going to begin at the 8th verse. And it says, as Jesus watched these people, he noticed how some of the people, they they wanted the best seats. You know, of course, the best seats at church are up front. But that's the only place we don't have to do that, (laughs) okay? But he was watching this, and people wanted to sit in places of prominence. And he told this as he watched this in verse 8. It says, when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, don't sit in the best place, lest one more honorable you than be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sat at table with you. For whoever whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So, you know, Jesus, he's saying here, you know, when you go to, don't think that you have to have the best seat. Or maybe sometimes don't think that you have to be recognized. Don't think that everybody has to see you. Some people, some people want to be seen. Some people don't want to be seen. I don't want nobody to see me. I just want to, I just want to blend. You know, there's different kinds of people. But, you know, we're told not to worry about that. And honestly, I believe if we don't want to be recognized and all, that's almost saying, 
something about us too. That, you know, I don't want to be recognized because actually it makes me nervous. Actually, I don't, and you think a lot about yourself. Either way, I think we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about ourselves. How is this going to affect me? And Jesus says, you know, when you go, he says, don't do that. He says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. He says, don't worry about how you're going to be treated or recognized. Don't, be, don't, don't think about it. It's, it's, not even, it's not even an issue. Don't think about it. Don't get caught up in everything about you, how it all affects you. You know, so many times when we go to something, we think about, how's this going to affect me? How's it going to affect me? Am I going to be happy? Am I going to feel comfortable? Is this going to be good for me? Is it? You know, we think so many times about us. When you go to something, I believe sometimes when we humble ourselves, we think about, if I go, what can I do for somebody else? How can I maybe encourage somebody else? How can I encourage somebody that's there? For some of us, that's kind of difficult. That's difficult for us. And so we have to get past just all being about us. And I believe that's part of our humbling ourselves. That, you know, when we humble ourselves, we don't think about us as much. We don't think about how does all this affect me. But we start to think about others. Because Jesus says, if we, if we humble ourselves, he says, then we'll be exalted. He says, if we humble ourselves, then people can say, wow, you know, something encouraging or something maybe to lift us up. And we don't have to do that on our own. And so as he watched, as he watched people come and, and come to the event, he saw that, you know, people have wrong, wrong ideas and wrong attitudes about this. You know, when they, when they come to something, it's all about them. It's all about them. And we have to get to a place where it's not all about us. It's not about us, but it's about those around us. It's how we might be able to be a blessing to them. So, you know, we have to think about that, and we have to consider other people. And then Jesus went on as he watched all this, and in verse 12, it says, Then he also said to invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, don't ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you get repaid. But when you have a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So now Jesus, as he watches this, he says, well, isn't this interesting who people invite? He said, it looks to me like they're inviting people who can give them something. You know? Have you ever felt like you got invited to a wedding because maybe you was about the gift you might bring? You know, is that ever a possibility? Could be. Could be. It says, you know, it's not about just inviting friends, family, rich, and it's in right, rich neighbors. Rich neighbors. People who you think can pay you back or can give you something. And he says, that's not how it ought to be. And that's not how it ought to be in God's kingdom because in God's kingdom, he says, we're to reach out to those who can't, who those who are poor, maimed, the lame, the blind. We reach out to those who have nothing to offer. And you know, sometimes what? That makes us feel uncomfortable. That makes us feel uncomfortable. Sometimes 
We don't, we don't like that. We don't like feeling that uncomfortableness. Sometimes we want people who are just like us, you know. You pick, you pick friends a lot of times with common likes. And we pick people that we're comfortable with. And Jesus says that's, that's not the way it ought to be in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, that shouldn't really be a consideration. It shouldn't be a consideration. It shouldn't be just those that have obvious needs. The other side of that is, in reality, in the kingdom of God, when we invite people, even the rich, even those that are prominent, even those that look successful, even those that we hold in high esteem, the Bible says that actually, in reality, they have all the same need as us all. We all have the same need. We all are in the same condition. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So we don't exclude those, but we also don't just bring them in because we think we're going to benefit from them. We've all sinned. I've said many times over the years that one thing about money, money always makes sin look better. Think about it. Money always makes sin look better. When the poor sin, they look terrible. When the rich sin, they don't look so bad. A drug addict that's poor looks terrible. A drug addict that has money doesn't look so bad. As a matter of fact, we'll even give them honor in our media nowadays. Think about it, you know. We'll even give honor to them and hold them up in high esteem and talk about them for days because of all their accomplishments, even though of what they've done. Money just makes sin look better. It doesn't change anything in God's eyes. It's only in ours. It's only in ours. And we need to remember that. That, you know, we've all sinned. And so whether somebody has money or dresses well or dresses a certain way or looks a certain way or drives a certain vehicle... That's not the criteria for us to reach out because we've all sinned. We've all sinned. Doesn't mean we should exclude them either. Doesn't mean we should exclude them because they have the same need. But we have to be very careful that when we do things and when we invite, that we are willing to reach out and invite anyone. We invite those that seem less obvious a lot of times. We just never know where God's going to open a door, where God's going to open a door for us. And sometimes we have to reach out where we're not always comfortable, where we're not always comfortable, where we don't always feel like, well, I'm not sure about that. I believe God wants his church to reach out to the world. I think it's wrong sometimes, and I, I, haven't, I haven't read a lot, but I've, I've heard about, you know, that when churches start that, you know, you have a target group. You have a target group that you're going after. And so if you're going to start a church, you, you pick a target group. And you know what group most people usually pick? The suburbs, the rich, people with money. That's the target group. Always interesting to me how that's the target. You know, but what's reality? The reality is that God doesn't have a target group. 
God says we've all sinned and come short. God wants us to reach everyone. God wants the church to reach everyone around us and not just to target some. Or when somebody comes in with, with what we think is prominence or money or wealth, that we cater to them. Or we give them not maybe necessarily the best seat, but we give them plenty of attention, plenty of recognition. We have to be very careful that we don't start to manipulate things. We don't start to look for people who we think can help us. And maybe treat people who we think can't help us as much as less. That's not the way the kingdom of God operates. Because what I believe is, if we reach out to those that God would have us reach out to, no matter who they are, then God is the one that provides. And if we ever lose track of that, I think we're in trouble. That God will provide for his kingdom to grow. And it's up to him to do that. And we reach out to those around us. Because Jesus could see that there's a tendency sometimes to exclude. There's a tendency sometimes to exclude people. And we can't, we can't be doing that. And then as he goes on, he says that, you know, there's another group that gets invited. And he says that uh, when they get invited, they come up with excuses. So, you know, we can look at this parable. We can say, well, this is about when we invite people. Or we can say, well, this is about when people are invited to God's kingdom. And so he goes on then in verse 16. And then he said, a certain man gave a great supper, and he invited many people. He sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. If you ask, if I ask of you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. And I ask you to have me excused. Till another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of these men who are invited shall taste my supper. Well, you know, one of the things about this parable, you know, you could look at this parable, you could say, well, Jesus is talking about the people who are invited to his kingdom. And the first people when Jesus came that he invited were his, the children of Israel. You know, the children of Israel being ones invited to the great supper, what did they do? Well, they, they turned down the invitation, basically, as a group. They turned down the invitation and said, no, we're not coming to that. But I believe this also can apply to us. We can think about this on, on our terms. How do we respond when God invites us? How do we respond when God invites us to his kingdom? What's our response to him? Well, he gave some, some answers here. He says, well, some people reject the kingdom of God because well, they bought land. You know, they made an investment. They got investments to take care of. They're planning for retirement. They're busy, They're busy with all of that. Keeps them, keeps them occupied. They don't have time for God's kingdom. 
Or maybe someone else might say, well, he says they bought oxen. Well, you know, I'm, I'm working. That's my job. It's my job. I'm busy working. I'm busy providing for my family. I'm trying to get ahead. Nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with investments. There's nothing wrong with retirement. There's nothing wrong with planning ahead. There's nothing wrong about working. There's nothing wrong with providing for your family, where to do all those things. There's nothing wrong with trying to get ahead. But those are not excuses. Those are not excuses for being a part of God's kingdom. Those are not to be excuses for doing what God's called us to do. One of the things I believe we have to make sure is we have to keep our priorities straight. And then the, 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 one of the last ones said, well, I've married a wife, and I can't come. Doesn't give a lot of explanation there. Obviously, obviously the man married a wife, and he was busy, busy taking care of her. I understand that. Wives take a lot of time, you know, from just a practical standpoint. Families take a lot of time. Families should take a lot of time. Wives should be a priority for us. Those aren't, those aren't bad things. Those aren't things that we just say, well, that's not important. No, those things are important. But we have to be careful that they don't become an excuse, an excuse for what God asks us to do. They're not excuses. They're a part of what he asks us to do and what he asks us to be. And so, so there's, there's no excuse. And, and when these excuses are given, it says those who are invited, Jesus does what? He says, well, if they won't come, then just go out in the streets and get somebody. He says, get people that'll come. And he says, compel them to come. You know, there's an urgency here with God's kingdom. There's an urgency here. That, you know, one of the things I think, if, if people got excuses you can ask people to come to God's kingdom, but if they've got excuses, you can't make them come. You can't make them come. Then go out and find somebody that wants to come and compel them. It's that urgency. It's that urgency of God's kingdom and that we need to be sharing that with people around us. And we need to be inviting whoever we can because the time is short. The time is short. The time is not getting longer. Now, if anybody hears time's getting longer, come see me. I want part of that. You know, time is getting shorter. Time is getting shorter. And so we don't have a lot of time. You know, some Jack shared this morning, another young person, you know, took their life, overdosed, took their life. You know, time is short. Sometimes it's shorter for others. Sometimes it's real short. You know, just because you're young doesn't mean there's a lot of time necessarily. You know, time is short. Compel them to come in. There's that sense of urgency about God's kingdom that we don't get complacent about it. And then Jesus goes on and he, he shares some scriptures here that, that are pretty difficult. I think they're pretty difficult. Because in verse 25, he says, Now great multitudes were with him. And he turned and he said to the multitudes, he says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What is he talking about? 
What is he talking about? He's saying that he has to be first. He doesn't, he's, not, he's not saying, hate your mom and daddy. You know, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. You know, he's not saying that. He's saying that you have to get to a point where you put him first above all else. That he's number one. And he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It sounds to me like if we're going to follow him, we do have a cross. It doesn't say, well, if you happen to have a cross. He says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We all will have a cross to bear. We all will have things to lay down. We will all have things to give up. We will all have things to surrender in our life to him. Count the cost. Because he says, for which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. If you're going to build a building, you need to sit down and figure out, have we got enough to finish the building? You don't just start and say, well, I hope we get enough or I hope we make it. You know, do you have enough to finish? You kind of need to sit down and count the cost. Lest after you laid the foundation, you're not able to finish, everybody can see it and mock you. And they say, well, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. If you do not forsake all that you have, you cannot be his disciple. The Bible says God is a jealous God. What he's saying to us is that he has to be first. He's not saying that you don't end up loving your mom and loving your dad and loving your family and you love the. He's not saying that. But he's just saying he has to be first. He has to be first. He's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. So many times we want to be Christians. We want to be part of the kingdom of God. But we want to be, have that and everything else too. What has to be is we have to count the cost. We have to count the cost. Am I willing to pay the price? Because at some point there will be a price to pay. At some point, there will be a decision of some kind. Something will come up that you'll have to decide, is this more important than God's kingdom to me? Whether it's family, whether it's money, whether it's friends, whatever it might be, whatever you, maybe it's what I want to do. What it's want to do. Maybe it's my plans, how I planned my life. You know, I can kind of, I, I, I guess I sort of laugh about that, and people have told me, you know, that, you know, how's retirement? <laughs> well, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Never quite felt retired anyway, but you know, plans change. Things change. God has things for us to do. And you know, about retirement, you know, you know there is no retirement. You know, you can change, you can slow down, you can do things differently. But you, there's no retirement from God's kingdom. There's nowhere it says, okay, now you can slack off in God's kingdom. 
You know, I know I don't have energy to do the things I used to do. I know that. That's a reality. But that doesn't mean that I don't still do what God calls me to do. I just now find other people who have energy. And I want to tell you something. When I look around here, I am so thankful for people with energy. You know, that allows us to do what God's called us to do. But, you know, we, we, can, we can make plans. We can say, well, this is how I think my life should be. But we have to be willing to say, okay, Lord, I count the cost. So that means that whatever you want me to do, whatever the cost, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. Whatever it takes, whatever you ask. We have to be willing to get to that place. He says, if you don't forsake everything, you cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to give everything up, there's nothing that you can hold so dear that you can say, well, I, I want to serve God except for unless this comes up. Or I want to serve, you know, he says, you have to forsake everything. You have to be willing to forsake everything. Otherwise, you can't be his follower. You know, those are, those are hard words. You know, those are the kinds of things I always say. Every altar call should have part of that because it would help people to count the cost. What happens in the, what happens in the modern, I'll call it church sometimes, is what we do is we use altar calls to get people to come to the kingdom of God, and we think because people responded to our invitation that now they're part of the kingdom of God. Reality is they may respond to your invitation, but that doesn't make them a part of the kingdom of God. Because unless they surrender and give up everything and turn their life over to him, the Bible says that if you aren't willing to do that, you can't be his disciple. The reality is sometimes what it does, it maybe looks like on appearance that we have people who we would maybe discourage or, or maybe it wouldn't look like we're doing our good job, that the numbers wouldn't be as good. But that's not what God's interested in. He's interested in people who want to be part of his kingdom. So we need to share the truth with them. Say, this is what it takes to be part of the kingdom of God. This is it. Now you consider the cost. You consider the cost. You consider if you're willing to do this. Then they make a decision. Then they make a decision. And they follow him. And I believe that's what God wants from us. He wants those kinds of decisions because he says in verse 34, he says, some, again, some pretty harsh things. He says, because, you know, the Bible says we're the salt of the earth. You know, back in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says we're the salt of the earth. We're what makes a difference in the world around us. We're what changes the world. You put salt on food to change its taste. You put salt on food. He says, you're the salt of the earth. You're what I put on this earth, and we're, you're what I add to make a difference, to change things in this world. You are the salt of the earth. And he says, salt is good. But he says, if it's lost its flavor, then how are you going to season anything? So he says, you're the salt of the earth, and you're going to change things. But you know what? If you lose your fa flavor, if you lose your ability to change anything, what good are you? What good are you? And if salt is not going to change anything and be seasoning, where he says it's neither fit for the land or for the dunghill, but men throw it out. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. We are the salt of the earth. 
we are. If the earth is going to change, if the world around us is going to change, it's going to be God's people. We're the salt of the earth. Nothing else is the salt. Nothing. It's not the, you know, I'm sorry, you know, we know it's not the government. It's not, it's not philosophies. It's not things that we can do. Those things may be good and they may have ideas that might help things, but they're not going to change things. You can sit and watch them try and throw more money at it. And the more money they throw at it, does it get better? It doesn't appear so. You know, it doesn't appear like throwing money at things makes things get better. Because salt is what makes the world change. And we're the salt of the earth. We're the salt. We're it. So if you see things around you, you want them to change, then it's you. It's you. It's me. And our question needs to be, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to be salt? And where can we be salt? You can be salt in your family. You can be salt at work. You can be salt at play. You can be salt in your neighborhood. You are the salt of the earth. Some of us may have a little influence. Some of us may have a lot of influence. It varies. It doesn't matter. Be salt wherever you are. Be salt where you are. Change where you're at. Maybe your family. Maybe your family. And one of the things that, you know, we take for granted sometimes and maybe we don't put enough emphasis on is prayer. Pray, pray, pray. The Bible also says that we need to fast and pray. I'm probably going to do a message on this in the future, but I just want to tell you right now, folks, that we are coming up against things, I believe, in our society where Christians better start fasting and praying. The Bible says that there's some things that don't change unless you fast and pray. And I, I, just, I just want to share that. Consider that. You know, consider that. Pray about it. Say, Lord, how would you want me to do that? You know, maybe it's, you know, I don't know. You know, a meal a day, a, a, a day a week. I don't, I don't know what, you know, I'm not telling you to quit eating for three weeks. You know, if you do, let me know. You know, somebody did that one time. And I went, whoa, 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 <laughs> whoa, how you doing? You know, I mean, I, whoa. I'm not saying that couldn't be, but I'm just saying, you know, think about it. But it's serious, folks. It is serious. You know, I look at, I look at some of the stuff going on around us, and I think, how's it going to change? How's it going to change? I sort of know how we got here. Sort of. I can see how over a period of time we just, kind of turn our back on the Lord and we started doing things on our own and we started getting away from his principles and we started to do, not do what God wants and all of a sudden, here we are. So here we are. Now what do we do? Throw up our hands and say, oh Jesus, come back quickly. I say that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my outs. Oh Lord, could you just come back quickly? Get us out of here. I think that's an escape. You know, Not that I wouldn't like him to come back, but I think it's kind of an escape. So in the meantime, what do I do? What do I do? How do we change things? Because God expects his people, the salt of the earth, to change things. He's looking to us. He's looking to us. 
And so we have to we have to figure it out. We have to do what he's called us to do. Be what he's called us to be. And we can't pull back. And I sort of think, and I don't want to say this in a bad way, but we got to get a little aggressive. You can't be passive about this, folks. We have an enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Do you think he's passive? Do you think he's passive about destroying our kids? Do you think he's going, oh, well, you know, he's aggressive. He's aggressive. And God's people need to be aggressive with his word, with his love. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that brings people to repentance. Now, when I say get aggressive, get aggressive with love. Get aggressive with caring. Get aggressive with praying. But get aggressive. We do have an enemy. You know, and there's no, there's no reason we should be losing. You know, Jesus, when he came, he died on a cross and rose again so that we might have victory. So we might be victorious, not sitting around thinking, oh, my, we're losing. Well, if we're losing, then what do we need to do? We're not meant to lose. God's kingdom, he says, compel them. Compel them. Don't just kind of go, well, I hope you do. You know, compel them to come. There's nothing wrong with having some passion about what we believe, some conviction. You know, what do we stand for? Who are we? Are we the salt of the earth? Are we the salt? Are we going to make a difference in the world around us? And how? How? That's one of my biggest prayers for us as a group. How are we make a difference? What can we do? I got to believe it's bigger than what we probably can imagine or think about. But what can we do? How can we change the world around us? How can we make a difference to a world that's lost and struggling? And we need to find ways to share the truth and compel them to come and be part of his kingdom. And then we have to look at ourselves and say, oh Lord, forgive me for my excuses. Forgive me for my excuses. Forgive me for not taking seriously what you've asked us to do. Help me to be what you want me to be. Help me to make a difference, whoever you are. You are not insignificant. You are not insignificant. We all have an area that we can influence around us. We just need to pray and know what it is God wants us to do. Let's all stand. Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would just speak to our hearts. Lord, if we're not part of your kingdom, help us to just count that cost and, and to say, you know what? I want to be part of that kingdom, and I'm willing to accept that and deny everything around me, even myself. And Lord, help us to be willing to trust you with that, because that's, that's, a, that's a big point of trust, of trusting you to take care of us when we deny ourselves, when we deny what I want to do. But Lord, I'm willing to trust you. Because Lord, I admit that I'm a, I'm a sinner and I need your saving grace. I don't deserve it, it's grace. So Lord, help me to receive that. Lord, help us to be part of your kingdom and then Lord, help us to know that as part of your kingdom that we need to seriously invite, share, influence, allow you to work through us so that we can be the salt of the earth. 
Lord, that we can be salt that changes things. Lord, we, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you that you are not defeated, that you are victorious. And Lord, we serve a victorious God. So Lord, we just thank you for being with us today. Lord, as we go today, I pray that you just stir in our hearts and just help us to, to really meditate on what you've asked us to do. Lord, I pray if anyone needs prayer this morning, you'd encourage them to come up and and uh, let uh, Tom and Pam pray for them this morning over here by the screen. Lord, you just let them receive from you today and that they would be here to encourage anyone that would have a need. Lord, we just thank you for that. Lord, be with us now and just bless us as we go on our way. We just pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.